Thanks for checking out this sermon from Christ the King in Carrollton, Georgia, where our goal is to glorify God by making, training, and sending disciples to engage our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us online at ctkcarrollton.com, or better yet, join us on a Sunday in Carrollton. ...to Paul through Epaphroditus, and the verdict is this. Are you ready? Epaphroditus brings news to Paul, and, and he says this. He says, man, things are going really well. The saints, Christians in the region, are continuing their growth in faith. They're loving Jesus, and they're living out A belief in his work. This is what it looks like to be a Christian, Paul reminds us. This is what it looks like to to be a Christian. It means that that you know God as Father, as as we stated last week, through Christ, and that you wear him, right? You submit to him, you pursue him, and you passion him, right? You, You cloak yourself in Christ, it means you have been you have been revived. Right? A previously dead heart has been brought to life, bringing life through the act of regeneration. You, your your heart and your mind were at one time hostile towards God and his good desires for your life. To what? Well, to know him. To worship him, to enjoy him. Now, having been born again unto a living hope through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, your hearts, Christian hearts, are, are made new. Minds are, are made new. We now enjoy God. We enjoy his desires for our lives, even when those don't always align with our desires. The Christian right, dies to himself or, or herself. We die to ourselves, glorying now in God's majesty, glorying now in God's kindness being displayed through us. This is what it looks like to love Christ. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. It is this reality that has produced thanksgiving from Paul as he begins here in verse 1. Verse 15, verse 1 this morning. You guys are with me. You're following along. Not only are they loving Jesus, which they most certainly are, as their hearts and minds have been transformed, they glory in Christ, they enjoy him, they worship him, but they are loving other people as well. Specifically, verse 15, the saints. I hope you're following along with me, right? We're not just making these things up. This is all right here. There are marks, aren't there? When we talk about like what it means to be a Christian and what it is that has produced gratitude and thanksgiving from Paul in light of what he has heard. There are marks, loving Jesus, loving one another. These two things inform Paul's unceasing gratitude to God for these people and the good news that he has received about them. That is that their lives are noticeably different from the lives of other people. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, man, right? Keep Christianity weird. Like Christians are like by nature, 
a bit strange, (laughs) right? Like we are a, a bit different as we have been made to be different. There's a a vertical love for God that has resulted now in a horizontal love for one another. Again, in this case, as Paul references, the saints. I want us to think about what Paul doesn't say as he begins this this portion of Ephesians chapter 1. He doesn't say this. He doesn't say, man, you guys are killing it. Right, you're, 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 you're totally blowing it out of the water. Epaphroditus told me what a stellar job you're doing at caring for everyone in your fellowship. Wow. Well, except for Chad, <laughs> right? Like, you're doing a great job at loving everybody, but not so much, Chad, but like, really, like, like, I don't know that I like Chad very much either, right? Like, he's kind of annoying. Tends to rub people the wrong way. Gets on people's nerves. It's not what Paul says. Instead, we as readers are provided every indication... That when Paul shares his joy and prayer with the church over their love for Christ and their love for one another, it's because it is by nature a forgiving and inclusive love. Well, what does that mean? What are you saying? Well, here, here's what we're saying, right? It's a, it's a love that seeks the highest good of another. He doesn't say, man, like, you guys are doing, like, you're doing, a, like, 99%. Like, you guys are 99%, like, like killing it, knocking it out, really adopting this mentality. It's clear that your, your love for Christ has, has informed, for the most part, your love for one another. No, he says, man, here's what I've heard, right? Like, things are going really well in Ephesus. Like, I do not cease to give thanks for your love for Christ and for your love for the saints. There is this expectation. There's this There's this informing of Paul's position in light of what I would argue we're going to talk about in just a few minutes is is his inside information into what is going on. All of this is, is birthed out of what we see in the first in the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter one. We don't leave behind what we read last week, but we're building upon it this week. Last week, we talked about God's election and adoption of broken people, right? How he, he, extends, uh, he extends mercy and grace in Christ and through Christ. And he has extended, right, for us forgiveness and has assured for us these spiritual blessings that are kept. Not tarnished by by rust, right? But they're they're secure, not physical, but but these these spiritual blessings. The distinction that Paul makes in chapter one: the good news of God loving and choosing you in your sin, unattractive and and unlovable, results in your continuing to love and seek the well being of brothers and sisters in Christ who are at times, hear this, unattractive. And unlovable. 
Like we're not confused, right? Like we understand how relationships work, right? Like we get this. We understand that, that we are sinners who exist in relationship with other sinners. And because that is true, we at times hurt one another. And all the married people in the house said, amen. We get that, right? This is how human relationship works. And so how do you continue to to move forward amid this reality, this this somewhat grim reality that we continue to to go back into our our troubles, right? And to to continue to go back to our to our old ways and our and our the, the desires of our flesh. Like how do you move forward in this? Well, well Paul says this. He says, "Man, allow the gospel to inform the way that you go about like loving one another. It must. The gospel, God's love and, and election and adoption of sinners through the person and work of Jesus, informs the way and shapes the way that we now feel about God, does it not? Absolutely. Therefore, by nature, it must also inform and shape the way that we feel about and relate with one another. In our sin, in our rebellion, while we are unlovable and unattractive, what does God do? He, he elects right? He, he saves, he redeems, he rescues. He softens hard and he opens spiritual eyes in order to make us in Christ and through Christ attractive to him, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. This reality that is contained in those first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1 leads us into what we see here in Ephesians 1 beginning in verse 15. This thanksgiving and this gratitude. You guys aren't perfect, right? You're not perfect, but... Like you're grasping and you're growing in a deeper comprehension and understanding of God's love for you. He's going to say more about this as we continue through in just a, in just a few minutes. As a result, like the gospel is producing, get this, this is so important. The gospel is producing like real tangible transformation in the way that you connect and relate with one another, right? Like you're, you're able to as sinners, oftentimes hurting one another, extend forgiveness and compassion and love. Why? Well, because you understand that you have been extended forgiveness and compassion and love. Do we get the relationship here? Are we understanding how these two things relate and how they work together? Like the, the Ephesians did not arrive at this place that has produced thanksgiving from Paul, possessing these marks by themselves. Certainly not. This is, a, this is an after effect of the gospel. This is what the gospel does. We see in Christ God's love for us while we were yet sinners. So we might be saved and adopted and rescued and called into fellowship and family with him. Therefore, because this is true and we are a people who are constantly revisiting and gospeling ourselves and gospeling one another, we are able to love those and forgive those who have sinned against and hurt us. This produces gratitude from Paul. The way that you guys are loving one another. The way that you're loving Jesus, 
I give thanks for you, Paul says. It doesn't stop there, though. In fact, we see that, that through this, right, the act of, of, of loving, right, one another and pursuing and seeking the greater good. Through this, you are, we are, they are displaying the authenticity of God's election and adoption. Right? That, that it is real, that it is a thing, that it has happened. The power of what you confess, that being the gospel through the hard work of pursuit and forgiveness. Man, in these few verses, we find an incredible reminder Right, that we are that we are moving towards a goal in this life. Yes, at the end of our race, Christ. But existence now marked by gospel transformation and love in the temporal, in the immediate. Right, the, the Christian is not simply treading water until Christ returns. If you're in this room and you're following after Jesus, know that you are not just like waiting it out. Trying to keep your head above. Come, Lord Jesus, come, right? We're not bunkered down. We are not a bunkered down people. The nature of the Great Commission obliterates that idea, doesn't it? Like, go is the very opposite of bunker down, isn't it? Like, we are not a bunkered down people. We're not treading water. We're not biding time. If that's what you're doing, I love you, okay? Let me preface this with this, okay? I love you all. If that's what you're doing, you're doing it wrong, okay? Like, can I say that to you? If this is the way that you're living as a Christian, you're just not doing it right. What I have heard about you, Paul writes, has resulted in a positive response, We see no indication here in these first few verses that Paul is confused. We see no indication within these first few verses that he is frustrated. We see that there is no need for clarification. Okay, well, you guys say you love Jesus, right? And I've, I've heard that, but like, what in the world is going on in Ephesus, right? That's not what we get. Or, well, it was great to hear from you guys on these few points, but like, Like, what's really going on there? This is not the indication that we get as we work through these these first few verses. Paul at no point asks for further clarification. Instead, this letter begins with Paul in verses 1 through 14, building a case for worship in response to the blessing that both he and the recipients of his letter have received. It's followed in verses 15 through 22 by thanksgiving, right? A response centered on the work of the word and the spirit of God in those whom he is addressing. Two practical questions of application. Okay, under understanding that Paul here is talking about an obedience and practice, right? Stemming from gospel transformation that is, produced cause for thanksgiving to God for them and the growth and grace that they are showing. Now, what would would an honest report of your life from fellow believers concerning your, your faith in Jesus look like? Just a question to consider, right? 
Paul says here that, that he does not cease to give thanks. In light of what he has heard concerning the practice of the Ephesians. Their love for Christ and their love for one another stemming from and authenticating right their adoption and election that he mentions in the first few verses. You truly belong to Christ. What would an honest report of your life from fellow believers concerning your faith in Jesus look like? What would, what would you say? What would they say? Right? Would, it, would, it, would, it, would they say it was active? Healthy? Stagnant? Non-existent? What marks? This is so important. Like, we're doing surgery here. Okay? We're doing self-surgery here. Well, what marks would they point towards in coming to that conclusion? And Paul says, I give thanks. I don't cease to remember you guys in my prayer because I've heard and I, I believe what I have heard, that you love Jesus, that you are loving Jesus, that you are growing in a love for Jesus, and that you are loving one another, that there's not discord, but you are, you are showing, you are displaying your, to your community the gospel well. You are showing what Christ is like and the power of the hope of the resurrection in people by how you live. Second question is, is this, right? What would, what would be the honest report from fellow believers of your love for fellow saints? For Christians, stemming from your love for Jesus. Right, man, Tim, he does a, he does a stellar job at loving people well. Right? He's, he's self-sacrificing. He's kind and patient. He points me. Don't miss this one. <laughs> because this is what distinguishes like, like moral behavior from like gospel transformation. Right? He, he, he points me. To Christ. And he encourages greater love and commitment to him. Do you know people like that? I know I do. What a breath of fresh air to be around people like that, right? To where you go, like, man, like, obviously, like, the gospel is, is good news. And the power of the spirit to transform the heart and mind of a once rebellious people is legit. Because I see it. Right, it's it's evidenced in your life, man. Is Tim is Tim perfect? Absolutely not. Yet when he sins, man, he 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 is open and receptive to feedback and eager to repent and seek forgiveness, man. Would you would you be described like this? Is this a, are you painting an accurate picture of the power of the gospel through your existence, like through your life, or does it sound different? Right? Does it does it sound different? Well, he really seems to be most focused on himself and advancing his or her own agenda as opposed to Christ's agenda. Routinely short, divisive, absent, whether he's present or not. Like is this what which one is it? Like what is it? There's no insight here that we possess as to what might have been the correspondence from the Ephesians themselves to Paul or Epaphrodites' commentary. 
We do, however, know this. Based on Paul's response, the condition of the souls that make up this church found central focus in terms of content. Right, let's say it, let's say it this way, that, that there was, uh, at some point feedback from the church to Paul of the primary things, the most important things, faith in Christ that was resulting in faithfulness to Christ. That's what they wanted to talk about, and that's what Paul wanted to hear. Why does that matter? Well, this matters because it challenges Christians in this room to consider the content of our conversations with one another as those who claim to know and love Christ having been transformed by the power of the gospel. This is where where part two of point one comes in, right? That there is a structure for Christian engagement. What does it look like when believers get coffee together? What a practical question. Like, I love meeting with people. Like, I'm a Christian. I love coffee. Like, what does it look like when you throw all these things together, right? Right? What a practical question, right? When Christians grab lunch, of course, there is general conversation. This is not an assault on general conversation. Do not see me here this morning slaying general conversation before us. But central is Christ. Central is is Christ and a celebration of his resurrection and dialogue around spiritual state. How does Paul know what he knows about what's going on in Ephesus? How does he know what's going on in the lives of the people there? Well, because he's heard. They're talking about it. There's no prodding. There's no prying. We don't get any indication as though he's just having to like rip this out of somebody. Tell me how things are going in Ephesus. It's great to hear about like... You know, everything else is going on in the community. New waste disposal system, stellar, right? Glad to hear things are progressing in Ephesus. No, there's no indication that he's having to pull these truths out, that he's having to pull this information out. They're sharing it. They're leading with it, right? Questions like, perhaps, again, structuring our Christian conversation, structuring our lives together. Chelsea's talking about what it looks like for believers to gather together, right? What questions do we ask? It's informed by what we see here in these few verses. Not specific questions, but questions that drive us towards what Paul knows to be true about what's going on in their lives. Are we getting this? Is this are, we, are, like, are we too much in the air or are we understanding what's going down here on the ground? Questions like, man, what is God doing in your life? Central things that lead to like pertinent and like truly important information. What is God doing in your life? How are you growing in grace? Man, how have you failed? Talk about a long conversation, right? How have you, how have you failed? What have you learned about yourself and your tendency? But most importantly, what have you learned about God? How are you gospeling your your husband? Right? And how are you how are you gospeling your your wife? How are you gospeling your children or your neighbor or your coworkers? How are you gospeling your brothers and sisters at Christ the King or insert local church? I mean, here's what we're saying, right? That there's an intentionality in Christian conversation because we understand what a gift it is, even from a distance. We understand that we live and function in a world that in many ways sees things differently than we do. Thus, when we get together, 
When we write one another, it's intentional, man. It's never burdensome, but it's refreshing. Why? Well, because we share a common perspective. Because we share an object of worship, a subject of worship, that being Jesus. We share the same mission to see the world, know God, and worship him. To see those who already know God, love him more, and worship him more. We get that we are a people. I'm about to broaden our relationships. Okay, so like like settle in for a second, okay? Because it's going to be a bit overwhelming for some of us. All right, we, we, we see our relationships as an eternal investment in one another. Like we are eternally invested in one another. Do you get that? Like there are people on this side of the room, man, I'm internally invested in. There's people on this side of the room that I'm internally invested in. Right? It's not just like, man, what are we going to do for the next five years? And then what's next, right? That's not what it is. Because the gospel produces a much larger perspective than that, doesn't it, right? Like we, we know like that we are here and, and we are now for a specific purpose and function and mission, but there is something far beyond this. We are eternally invested in one another. This is happening in these people that make up this church that serve Paul's Jesus. And as a result, he says in verse 16, because all this is true, right? Because I've heard of these things. This has been communicated. This is important. This is most valuable. This is a topic of conversation. This is a point that we are going to touch on. I do not cease to give thanks for you. And because all of this is true, I I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, Paul writes. Paul is celebrating the work of the gospel. That's what he's doing here. This is a party. This is a party that's happening here in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 16. He He is celebrating the work of the gospel. The image of Christ being displayed through the Ephesians. That results in glory and worship. Not only that, but he's commending their actions. Right? He's encouraging them to continue on in this, right? Like, do we get that? Like, he's, you guys continue. Like, keep running. Love Jesus. Love one another. You guys are doing it, man. But don't quit. Don't give up. Don't let down. Continue to push, continue to run. Know that I am giving thanks for you. Know that I am remembering you. Why? Well, because you are, you are displaying Christ in your community. You are displaying Christ to the world. You are validating the power of the gospel and the hope of the resurrection. Man, that's an, that's an indictment that we want on our lives, is it not? Certainly. Man, the Christian life is marked by distinction. That's what Paul's saying here. I remember you. I'm praying because your lives are different. They're noticeably different. Like even from other Christians I know, (laughs) right? Like we've read other letters where Paul's just like, oh my gosh, again, (laughs) right? I don't know if that's his tone. Like he's much more like gracious, (laughs) maybe. I don't know. But you get that feeling, don't you? Like, yikes, 
Again? With this stuff? Like, really? It's not what we get here. Man, he commends, he commends the, the work of the gospel in the lives of these people. He encourages them to, to continue on. He's grateful. He's grateful for them. He's grateful for the work of Christ. He's grateful for his commitment. He's grateful for the way that they are functioning and the way that structure flows through this. Man, he celebrates this. God celebrates this. And he desires its emulation. Right? That we would emulate this with our lives. All of this exposes what time? All of this exposes the substance of gospel-centered prayer, celebration, and strength. Look with me at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, right? I'm remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now this sounds very much like The explained desire of Paul in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 1 verse 10. Right? That that, that Christians in the region might bear fruit in every good work increasing in the knowledge of God. And the, the faith of the believers in Ephesus is supported by the way that they live their lives as they strive towards holiness and gospel morality. Loving Jesus and and loving their brothers and sisters. Paul now shares with them his prayer that the spirit of wisdom would increase their knowledge of God. More than a mere understanding of God and his attributes. There's a distinction here, okay? Paul is praying for an experiential understanding. It's more than just knowing like of God and like what he is like. What we're talking about here is, is truly knowing God. It's kind of like, um, like, has anybody ever looked at you and go, like, are you even listening to me, <laughs> right? And you're like, I can say every word that you just told me. You are not listening to me, though. Like, you don't understand the substance of our conversation. This is, this is knowing of the heart of God, knowing of the heart of God. Right? And, and knowing in your being the heart of God, this vibrant knowledge, this, this real experiential knowledge, right? It's, it's one thing to know that the sun puts off heat because we are aware of it and because we can read about it in our textbooks, right? It's a whole other thing to step through those doors and to, and to walk out and to feel the warmth of the sun on your skin, isn't it? Like, it's different. I can open up a, a sixth grade science text and I can know that the sun is hot, that it warms the earth. Great. Man, but when you walk out, right, and you, and you feel it, you go, this is a different type of knowledge. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what Paul's talking about, about here, right? He's, 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 he's talking of this personal knowledge that results in a, a progressing knowledge, and relationship with God. He writes in verse 18 that the, the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? Paul prays for spiritual eyesight. Right? The eyes of the, of the hearts of the people. The eyesight that, that Jesus came to restore. Verse 18, that they may, that they may know the hope to which they have been called. Verses 1 through 14 talks all about that. The riches of the glorious inheritance of those who know and worship the resurrected Jesus. Spiritual blessings extended to the Christian in Christ, kept for us with him, confirmed through the Spirit's presence in the believer. Paul's prayer is that his friends would know the value that God places on them and that their lives would reflect this calling. And the transforming power of the gospel. That you would know it and that you would continue to know it. That they would know, verse 19, the strength of God. And the same spirit, the same spirit, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells within each and every believer. Paul says, man, I pray that the spirit would enlighten the the eyes of your heart to comprehend this profound truth. The hope of resurrection, at the resurrection of, of Jesus, solidifies hope for the Christian of a future bodily resurrection, yes. But, but this real hope for new life, for our mortal bodies and current existence here and now also. How do we know that? We're, 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 we're flying through something that we could spend six months on. And we're about to wrap up. Okay, so hang with me here. We, we know that based on what we read in verses 20 through 23. Look with me there. What does Paul say? He says, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, all things under his feet, the feet of Jesus and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells all in all. Wow. Man, Paul identifies Christ as the first fruits of resurrection joy. A joy possessed by the saints. That is verse 22, the church or his body. Paul reminds his readers that no matter the being, and I used that word intentionally, no matter the being born in this age or the age to come, verse 21, it is though it, 
he, she disappears in comparison with the glory that Christ has received from the Father. He possesses universal lordship. This is the Jesus that we exalt this morning. This is the Jesus that we celebrate this morning. He possesses universal lordship. He is our head. He is our source of life. Christ establishes and maintains unity as our head. Man, that's a physical sense, right? That is, that is universally accepted, right? Without a head, how do you move? Without a head, how do you think? How do you function? You don't. Right, you don't. For the people of God, the gospel shapes everything. For the people of God, Jesus shapes everything. He informs everything. He speaks to everything. From our response to our celebration to our affirmation as we are driven by him, Christ, and the life that he provides his people. Man, Paul here is celebrating the most important thing. He's celebrating the most important thing, that being the people's personal knowledge of God and their faithfulness through the strength of the Spirit to live out a resurrection life. He's celebrating that. He's unpacking like what that means and how that happens. Yes, of course. But let's not lose sight of the, of the joy within Paul as this letter is penned. But he's grateful. He's grateful for the, the work of the gospel of grace. He's grateful for the reliance of the, the saints in this city on the spirit to live out the the gospel life. A life that's purchased. Right? It's, it's purchased and it's, and it's given to us. Because of Christ's self-sacrificing work in our place. Right? He gives himself. He, he dies for his people. Calls us into fellowship. Provides us the gift of the Spirit, assurance of that which is to one day be, be realized fully and finally, presence with Jesus. Strengthening us to live this type of life. And what a great picture of what, of what we, the people of God, desire as we, as we lean into him. Seeking to live out the hope, the resurrection of our king in the everyday. Our conversations are shaped. Our celebrations are shaped. Our expectations are shaped. We've got a lot to think about as we come to the table. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite these guys up. And, um, and I want us to just spend a minute thinking and, and praying as we prepare to sing. Um, And I want us to lean into this. Right? I want us to consider some of the hard questions maybe that, we are, that we're confronted with as we work through this, this section. Man, what a joy. What a joy it's been to go through Ephesians chapter 1. It's only the beginning. 
Let's pray together. Father, you are, um, you are good. And you have purchased a people for a, a very specific reason. And that is that you might display your goodness and your glory to the world. And so we pray that you would give us these desires, that whatever we came in here this morning, that if the desires of our hearts are not captured and shaped by the gospel, we pray that that we would would lose those, that we would toss those to the side, that we would count them as nothing, that we would count them as, as rubbish, that we would count them as trash, and that we would instead desire to live out your good desires for your people. That we would love you. That we would love one another. That we would would move towards one another in unity, knowing that it speaks to the world of your character and your nature and your power as as we live this way. That we would celebrate in our fellowship and in the fellowship of others when you do this work, when we hear about what you're And and the church universal that we as your people would celebrate that because we know it's this megaphone that speaks to the world of of what you have done for us in Christ. You use this in a powerful way to to save sinners. What What great news. Help us to celebrate these truths. Help us to do work. Help us to consider how the gospel challenges us and encourages us towards transformation. As we take of the bread and the cup, celebrating, celebrating the resurrection of our king who makes all of this purposeful and possible. What incredibly good news. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Christ's powerful name we pray. Amen.